First reading is from Luke chapter 15. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. I will skip through to verse 11 now. Verse 11. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him out into the field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry, didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Second readings from Jonah chapter 4. Uh, We're going to start just at the end of chapter 3 at verse 10. Then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster that he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there 
and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? This is the word of the Lord. You're comfortable. I am too busy. I am resistant. I am angry. I am unwilling. I am selfish. I am not good enough. I am afraid. I am judgmental. I am running. I am jealous. I am Jonah. 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 Let's pray. Father, we pray now that as we come to look at your word, you'd help us see ourselves clearly. Father, if we are Jonah, please help us to see that. But just as importantly, Lord, please point our eyes away from ourselves and to your son, Jesus, where we might see your character, that you are nothing like Jonah. You are so merciful and kind. Please help us take great peace and comfort in that this evening. And pray, please, you give us the ears to hear. Please be at work amongst us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I was reading a, a, a summary of a book uh, by a pastor of a very, very big church, and he wrote something very interesting. He said, um, most unbelievers aren't looking for truth. Not looking for truth. We're big truth people, so that kind of is a bit hard to take. He goes on to say this, they are looking for relief. Relief, help, care, mercy. Do you agree? talking with one of us uh, about a week ago, and they were telling me about their, their, their experience of a church, and they said the Christians they knew that at this church were, were very correct, very theologically accurate, but they didn't care for him. The book I was reading went on to say that expressing God's mercy is a powerful and attractive thing. Would you agree? In fact, he said that's what Jesus did. He showed mercy, cared for people, and then they'd listen to him. Friends, I think uh, expressing mercy is going to become a more and more powerful thing in our world because 
Um, call me a, a kind of a crazy prophet, but I think uh, Australia is sliding into a dark age. Um, morally, culturally, uh, we're just getting very hard, dark, um, obviously, you know, lit up with LED lights and technologically savvy. But, but do you know what I mean? I, I think I'm probably not going way out on a limb here because I think that's kind of the world we're beginning to experience, quite kind of merciless, um, morally confused. And against that backdrop, I think a church that expresses God's mercy is just going to shine brightly. Mercy should be the flavor of a church. And I think it it is in many respects. The church is, to some extent, known for mercy. Uh, Social welfare in our country would kind of fall to pieces if it wasn't for the churches. Many people know to ring on the church doorbell when they're looking for mercy. So I guess what I'm saying is, can we keep doing that? Um, Can we as a church be known and famous for mercy? Can we ooze mercy? May that be our flavor. How's that going to happen? Well, anyone who's cooked a steak knows how to make something ooze with a particular flavor. You marinate it, right? You marinate it. We need to be people marinating in the mercy that God has shown us. Because we can only give out what we've received. Receive his mercy. Give it out to the world. I think that's what Jonah is all about. Um, We're in our fourth week in Jonah, the fourth chapter I'm going to chop this one in half. We're going to look at the first four verses of Jonah's response to mercy. And then secondly, we'll look at Jonah's lesson in mercy. And we'll see two threads over these two points kind of tied together. The first thread we'll see is God's huge mercy for everything he's made. For Jonah, for Israel, uh, for Nineveh, for us. And perhaps that's what you need to hear this evening. Perhaps this evening you need to be reminded that God's mercy is bigger than you ever realized. But then tightly wound around that first point is the second one. Our slowness to share that mercy. God's mercy is great, but we are very slow at sharing that mercy. Those two threads have been tied around each other right the way through Jonah so far, haven't they? Tim reminded us last week that God was very merciful uh, to warn Nineveh that he was going to destroy them. He said to Jonah, go and warn them. Merciful. Jonah didn't want a bar of it. He went the other way. So God kind of chased him down with a storm. He got chucked in the water. He was basically dead. He was basically gone. But God, again, was merciful. Ridiculously merciful, right? Sent this big fish, swallowed him up, took him over towards Nineveh, spat him out. And said again to him, Jonah, go and warn Nineveh. And so as we heard last week, he eventually went. Chapter 3, verse 4. See that chapter 3, verse 4? Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Do you have a picture in your head of how he did that? How he preached this little sermon of his... Because I kind of imagine him um, walking into sort of a dark alley and whispering, 40 more days and Nineveh will be demolished. I'm done, God. Thank you. Job done. And he's out of there. But all the people around went, did you hear what he just said? 
He just said, we better repent. Everyone from the greatest to the, to, the, to the highest to the least, they all repent and turn back to God. It's quite incredible. And then in verse 10, no surprises. Chapter 3, verse 10, then God saw their actions, that they turned from their evil ways, so God relented. God showed mercy. He relented from the disaster he'd threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. No surprises. God shows mercy again. Jonah's response? Well, that's our first point. How does Jonah respond? Does he share God's heart of mercy to these people? Chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. And then verse 3. This is Jonah talking. And now, Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. He's quite a drama queen, isn't he? He's kind of playing it up. Oh. <laughs> Apart from being a drama queen, you've you got to kind of, we've got to try to understand, though. Because you see, the Ninevites, they're a bloodthirsty bunch of bullies, really. I mean, they used to, just one example, right? They used to do this thing. They'd come to a city they wanted to conquer, and they'd say, surrender, or we'll make you like these guys. And then they'd get some guys from the last city they conquered, bring them out, set up a nice stick, pointy stick, and just impale them alive. They can kind of understand why Jonah's saying, how could you forgive these guys? God, how could you show mercy to animals like this? Especially when we know that the Israel are reading Jonah a couple of decades later and Assyria are doing the same thing to them. How could you forgive them? Show mercy to them. Shocking. Shocking mercy. But then you kind of think, well, Jonah... Aren't you forgetting something, buddy? Jonah, aren't you forgetting that just a few days ago, actually, you should have been destroyed. You were going to be destroyed. But God showed you mercy. Are you forgetting that? Are you forgetting that, that the Ninevites, they don't know their right hand from their left. They're kind of, they've got no moral compass. You know God. You're a prophet of the living God. He spoke a clear word to you. Go to Nineveh, warn them, and you ran the other way. You deserve to be destroyed just as much as they do. But God showed you mercy. Why are you furious? This is, I think, where we see the real ugliness of Jonah's complaint. See, look with me at verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. Why? What is the reason? Well, here it is. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. That's why I'm so angry. Do you hear what's going on here? Jonah is furious that God is who he is. That's just that's a classic statement of God's character. I hope it rings bells for you for, from kind of the Old Testament, the way God speaks of himself. That, that's how he speaks of himself. And Jonah is furious that God is like that to them. 
It's, it's fine for God to be like that to him, to show him mercy, but not to them. That makes him furious. He does not share God's heart of mercy. It's always strange, I thought, that um, Jonah is like a famous kid's story. Because it's not very kiddy, is it? But it is a funny story. I've often thought, why is it, why is it, what's it doing in the middle of all the prophets here? You know, all the, all the prophets just before it is, what is it, Micah or something like that? Obadiah and afterwards, is it Micah? Yeah, afterwards, what? These are prophets who kind of, they're, they're rebuking Israel and they're encouraging Israel. And Jonah's this funny story. What's really struck me as we've been working through Jonah is actually he's just the same. It's just that it's not his words that do the prophesying. It's his story. It's his life. He's actually got a real rebuke and a real encouragement for Israel. Because you see, Israel are exactly the same as Jonah in many ways. Just like Jonah has experienced God's mercy himself, Israel knew God's mercy for themselves. In fact, they were, they were born into mercy. Israel as a nation kind of came into existence at this great moment at Mount Sinai where they met with God and they kind of had like something like a wedding, really, where God said, um, I will be your God. Will you be my people? And they said, we would love to be your people. Will you be our God? And they kind of, it was like a, like a wedding kind of thing. And all of God's people were gathered around the base of this mountain and God was at the top of the mountain with Moses, their representative, uh, kind of forming this marriage covenant and what were the people around the base doing? Just celebrating, celebrating the goodness of their God. No, they, they, they made an, an idol of a calf and worshipped another God. At the wedding, you know? This is the bride at the wedding reception sleeping with the DJ. Oh, really? He's not a good DJ either. What's the husband going to do? He's going to take off his wedding ring. He's going to be angry. It's over. And that's kind of how God felt. God was furious. He wanted to destroy Israel, just like he was going to destroy Nineveh. But Moses pleaded with God and said, please do not destroy us. Please go with us. Be our God. And what do you think God did? He was merciful, as always. And Moses pushed it a bit further and says, God, show me your mercy, show me your glory, show me your glory. And so God took Moses and he put him in a cleft of the rock. And then let me read what happens. This is Exodus 34. If I can find it. Where have I put it? The Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love. Do you know what's happening, friends? This is God's glory, his character, his gracious, faithful, loving, merciful character is his glory. Israel experienced that glory, that mercy on that day of of their first beginnings, God's great mercy to them, and many days since. They know his glory. They know his mercy. They can speak of it. But here's the question. Do they show it? Do they share God's heart of mercy for others? This is the message of Jonah. The answer is no. They're like Jonah. 
You read many of the other prophets and they put the finger on it. They say, Israel, you are not merciful to the needy, to the orphans, to the widows, to the oppressed, to the foreigners, to the poor. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to to the Pharisees in the parable of the lost son. They're, They're the ones who are standing there looking at Jesus as he's hanging out with the outcasts and the sinners. And they say, what are you doing? They're not God's people. They don't deserve mercy. And so Jesus tells this story and says, you guys are like the older brother. You Pharisees, you're like the older brother. You don't share God's heart of mercy for the outcast. You don't share the heart of the father. Friends, this is where it gets to you and me. Jesus does. Jesus shares the heart, the merciful heart of God the Father. Jesus saw us in our sin and our brokenness and our need, and he didn't stay away. He came near, and he wasn't judgmental or harsh, or he wasn't a fault finder. He's merciful with us. Merciful. Friends, you know, if the most glorious moment in history was when God showed, uh, showed his mercy to Israel, if that was the moment of his glory being revealed, then where is the most glorious moment ever in all of history? It's the cross, isn't it? Where God's glorious character is revealed to all people. That although each of us deserve to be destroyed, like Jonah, because like Jonah, we've, we know what God has wanted from us. We've, we've known his word to us and we've gone the other way. Although each of us have been like Israel and not shown mercy to other people, although each of us deserve to be destroyed, God himself stepped down and was destroyed for us in our place so that God could show us complete mercy, forgiveness, acceptance, love. That is his glory. His glory is in his mercy. Friends, we were, we were born by mercy. Christians, their birth is in mercy. How appropriate is it of us to be merciful to others? We must be merciful to others. But friends, if you're like me, you find yourself far too often being like Jonah. When you see the needy person, you think to yourself, they've done it to themselves. They've made mistakes. They deserve this. If I help them, they'll probably take advantage of me. Too often I find myself at church kind of categorizing people as to those who kind of deserve my attention and friendship and those who don't. Sometimes we do with our attitude, don't we? have an unmerciful attitude. Sometimes we stand in judge, judgment with kind of a superior attitude towards uh, other social groups, the mentally ill, the homeless, Muslims, the gay community, whoever it might be. Friends, we are the people of the merciful God. He has poured out his mercy on us. Mercy must be our flavor. How's that going to happen? 
but we're going to marinate in his mercy, right? We're going to remember that we're not worthy, but that he poured out his mercy on us, undeserving. His radical mercy. Friends, I just want to say this as well. Some of you I've spoken to have got things in your past that you can't let go of. You have things that you're guilty about and you can't seem to let it go because it's too big. You're not as merciful towards yourself as God is, actually. Jonah was absolutely shocked at how merciful God is. That he would be merciful to people who impaled other people, right? God can be merciful to you too. You can move beyond it. Friends, we must marinate ourselves in God's mercy to us. And here's the second thing. We ought to practice mercy. Do merciful deeds. Um, Through church, we've got some organized ways of doing that. You can get involved in that. Uh, But there's so many ways you can do this. Um, I just want to challenge you this week to to try to do one merciful deed this week um, that you wouldn't usually do. That's a small thing. But if we each do it, it'll make a big difference. Just try to do one thing this week, a merciful deed that you wouldn't usually do. It might be speaking to someone about Jesus so that they might find escape from sin, the greatest mercy. It might be being friendly to someone who's lonely. But friends, as our world slides further and further into darkness, as we are merciful, we will shine. Well, that's the first thing. That's Jonah's response to God's mercy. Um, The second one is, I'm going to be much briefer on, that is Jonah's lesson in mercy. Um, It takes off in verse 5. Would you look at that with me? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. I love that. He's still kind of hoping that it'll fry. He's probably got his video camera set up. He wants to catch the footage. He's going to watch it over and over again. Yes, they fried. He's he's a bad guy. So he builds himself this little shack, right? It's not very good. So God mercifully grows this plant over the top. And he loves it. Jonah's very happy. Happy Jonah. And then God sends a worm to destroy the plant and sends a wind and a sun. And Jonah's about to faint. Angry Jonah. Very angry. Look at verse 9 with me. Then Jonah, a God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied. It is right. I'm angry enough to die. <laughs> Just, he's emotionally unstable, right? <laughs> you don't want this guy as a housemate, I don't think. It's crazy. It's happy in the morning. Two hours later, he's going to kill you. <laughs> but here's God's point. Verse 10, God kind of draws his point together. The Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over, And did not grow, it appeared in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, you care about a nothing. You made no investment into it. It's a nothing. Why did you care about it, Jonah? Why do you think he cared about it? It just gave him some shade, right? It suited him. It made him comfortable. And Jonah, you're you're upset enough about this vine that you're ready to die. Well, guess what? I'm, re- I'm a bit upset about Nineveh, says God. Verse 11. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, 
which has more than 120,000 people who can't distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. It's not a nothing. Nineveh's not a nothing, Jonah, like your plant. Now, you didn't just spring up in a night and perish in a night. I think implicit in this is, you know, I have labored over it and made it grow. Should I not care for it? And that's the end. That's, thank you very much. It's, gone, it's all over. Un- unanswered question. I talked to someone yesterday and they were like, I can't deal with this. I need closure. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I like this. I think it's quite cool because it forces the question onto us. How would you answer it? God says, should I not care about this city? I would answer, yes, God. <laughs> yes, you should care. Yes, you should, mer- should show mercy to everything that you've made, every life. This is the Judeo-Christian value, uh, virtue of the, the value of every human life. Yes, God, I'm so glad you care for sinners like Nineveh and me. I'm so glad that you care for this great city of Nineveh. You care for the great city of Sydney. Yes, that's my answer. But what I want to know is how does Jonah answer it? God asks him the question, what does he say? Does he change his tune? Does he learn the lesson? Or is he just kind of carries on being more concerned about his comfort than the lives of people? We don't know. We, we can't know. But what we can know, and what I think this unanswered question pushes on us is, how are we going to respond? Are we going to just care about what makes us comfortable? Or are we going to care about what God cares about? Every life he's created. I was thinking about this during the week. I thought if I could create a little um, machine called a carometer to measure how much I care about things. I was thinking, should I not care about people? Yeah, okay. Do I care about the needy people? When I see people who are really needing, like in, in winter, they're homeless over winter, how much do I care? And I kind of, yeah, okay. How much do I care about the guys across the road who start the leaf blower before 7 a.m.? You know what I mean? It's just sleep, but I care so much. How much do I care about the fact that in my life, in my family, in, in my suburb, I'm surrounded by people enslaved to sin. Yesterday, I noticed someone has scratched the side of my car. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a bit of metal. It just kind of suits me to having a car. Friends, we must grasp God's Mercy, not only for us, but for the world. We must be his agents of mercy in this world. And all the more as our world slides into darkness and mercilessness. Can you imagine if the church actually stepped forward and showed mercy more and more and more? You know, can you imagine? And I think this is what we can do because Jonah is open-ended. He doesn't tell us what happens. We can create that. You might be listening to this and you think, well, I've stuffed up, Dan. I've been like Jonah. I've not shown mercy. Well, you know what? Because of the mercy of God, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters. But what's happened in the past doesn't have to change the future. Because God is merciful. 
He forgives our failures. That's what he's on about. And he gives us his spirit, the spirit of the merciful God in us to help us move forward. We can shine in this world by the power of God. Can you imagine? Like, as we help the needy, as we befriend the lonely, as we actually hold out the message of a God whose mercy is wider still, wider than all our sins and failures, as wide as the cross. Friends, can we do that? The answer is yes. Because God has showered his mercy upon us. We can show it to others. Let's, let's marinate ourselves in that. And then act mercifully. One thing this week. One thing. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to watch a video of some Christians in Iraq who I think get it. And then we'll sing our last two songs. Father, I want to thank and praise you for your outrageous mercy to us. Lord God, I do pray for those here who really need to know that. Father, who are holding on to sin. And perhaps their, their vision of you is not of a God of mercy, but of a God of judgment. Father, they're not sure they can approach you. Please convince them. Convince them that you are a God who welcomes them and shows mercy. Father, I pray, please, that you would help us marinate ourselves in that and then enact us, put, put, enable us, put, put us to work showing mercy to the world around us. We want to shine in this world as we hold out deeds of mercy, acts of mercy, but also news of a God of mercy. And we pray, please, that you would be glorified in our acts and in our words, on our lips. Father, please be honored and glorified through us. Amen.